Time to grab your Bibles and um, open them with me back to the, what we've called the Paschal Discourse, John 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're in chapter 14 this morning, uh, John 14, verse 15. So you find that and I'll read it to you in just a moment. Um, it has been a big week around Grace of Anne for several reasons. I think most of you know that <clears throat> one of our families lost their 20-year-old son uh, in a hiking mountain accident in Chattanooga. And the funeral was held here Friday. And, um, and then yesterday, um, an altogether different event with all those boxes being packed. I, I just have to say, um, I, I sat in the audience um, Friday and then I heckled everybody yesterday. But it is a source of great delight to see, first of all, how you folks rally around grieving people and uh, the, uh, the event that you pulled off for that family on Friday was oh so impressive. Um, it was not wasted on them, I guarantee you. They noticed, and, um, and so did I. And then yesterday, it just makes my heart leap to watch. I mean, that's a lot of hard work, particularly you men who had to load those boxes. They're not, they're not light. And to, to know that 300 boxes, and you know, you might just think that's just a little Christmas ditty. Well, the church to which those boxes are going do not think, they do not think, in fact, they were with us yesterday morning, at least a portion, some of them were. And they're using those things very evangelistically, very uh, uh, intentionally, and uh, it's just fun to watch it. And I, and I just want to applaud you. You just, you shone, and I uh, enjoyed watching Um, Follow now as I read, beginning at verse 15 um, of John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The grass withers and the um, flower fades. But the word of our God, this, this endures forever. Guys, um, we, we come to a place in this, this paschal discourse of Christ that is, that is hugely significant, it's hugely important, and, it, and it's hugely complex. And it is all those things, that it's, it's, it's important, it's significant, and it's complex, because it introduces us to the subject of the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, that's not, to say, that's not to say, when I say introduces, I'm not suggesting that this is the first time the Holy Spirit's been mentioned. I mean, he's been around since Genesis 1. But in these four chapters, called the, the Paschal Discourse of Christ, this is the first time that he's been introduced. And from, from here to the end of chapter 16... He kind of moves front and center. Uh, it, it's, it's, 
it's at, from here on, he's, he's somewhat center stage. Uh, as Jesus himself introduces us to the, to the person of and the ministry of the, the, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, <clears throat> guys, I don't know whether you notice my title, um, The Unknown God. I stole that, but I'm not real sure where I stole it from. I, I, um, it might be a John MacArthur book, but it might be Acts 16 when, when Paul speaks about it. I, I don't know. But here's what I meant by it. We, we, tend, we evangelicals tend to know a lot about the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ. But I'm not sure we know as much about God the Holy Spirit. In a lot of ways, he's the unknown God. Um, and in, in, in a lot of instances, some of what we know, <laughs> it ain't right. Um, I mean, there are some places, some churches, where they do nothing but talk about the Holy Spirit and all of the experiences that are associated with him. And I would suggest to you that in those environments, you have nothing but confusion and excess that abounds. But then there are other places um, where they're almost afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, and the only thing they're really interested in is getting their theological ducks in a row and making sure that their, their position on the Holy Spirit is very orthodox. Very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, that's the world out of which I came. Um, that was my world, uh, where, where what we did when it came to the Holy Spirit is what we, what we, our major emphasis was what the Holy Spirit did not do um, I was told one time, uh, it was supposed to be a joke, it was supposed to be funny, but it, uh, they said, uh, if you really, if you, if you see a group of reformed thinkers who are, uh, who are gathered together, the way that you can scatter them is that you walk up and you mention the Holy Spirit and then watch them scatter. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so, ladies and gentlemen, but, um, I say all of that to say what we're, what we're trying to do this morning is to come up with some kind of healthy and balanced uh, understanding of the role and ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I know everybody says they want to be healthy and balanced, but very honestly, I, I think what, what my world needs to do, I don't know whether you're in my world, but um, what my world needs to do is we need to move from our end of the spectrum further towards that zany end of the spectrum. And what those on that, that end of the spectrum need to do is move towards this end of the spectrum. And that's what we're after, guys. We're after some kind of healthy, balanced understanding of God the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. Okay, so who is he and what does he do? Well, first of all, and I'm going to say it very simply, he's a divine person who resides in the heart of the believer. Got it? I could talk about that for hours. Hours. I'm not sure it would be profitably that I talk about it for hours. But I could talk about it for hours. And I'm gonna. I'm going to. I will. But not today. After having said all of what I've said about the Holy Spirit, 
we're not going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. <laughs> well, why? I mean, I mean, Dr. Young, you're just confusing the dickens out of me now. Um, I thought that's what you were doing. Well, kind of. Why, why, are, why aren't you going to talk about the Holy Spirit? Well, let me show you why I'm not. If you've still got your Bibles open, I want you, you may have already noticed this. Um, but you will, if you take a look, you'll notice that this short paragraph, verses 15 through 18, opens with a statement that seems almost out of place. He opens with this statement. If you love me, keep my commandments. And by the way, he says that three more times in verse 21, verse 23, and verse 24. We'll get to that later. But in this section where Jesus is introducing the subject of this new helper that's about to arrive, that he's going to send once he gets back to his father, it opens, he opens it with this statement. If you love me, keep my commandments. He says that, and then he introduces us to the Holy Spirit. We can't get to the Holy Spirit until we deal with that. That is, the way that he opens the subject. He opens the subject by saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what is the connection between these two things? The Holy Spirit and keeping my commandments. What's the connection? What's the relationship? I mean, is this completely out of place here, this little opening verse 14? Oh, no. Jesus never makes that mistake. Let me show you, ladies and gentlemen. Look at your Bibles, and you will... Let me read it to you again, just a little bit of it. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and... You see, because verse um, 15 is separated from verse 16... And by the way, those verse, it's called versification. Those verse numbers were put in there by, by translators. That wasn't in what Jesus said. He said it like this. If you love me, keep my commandments and... Do you know what that means? It means that verse 16 is connected to verse 15. Um, there's a comma after commandments. Because, ladies and gentlemen, those two things go together. You cannot separate this first half of verse 15, where he says, if you let me keep my commandments, you cannot separate that. You must not separate that from the introduction to the Holy Spirit that comes in verse 16, and it's connected by the conjunction and. 
if, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and I'll send you a helper. Those two things, ladies and gentlemen, are connected at the hip. What is that connection? And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, listen, if you can see the connection, if, if, if I can explain the connection between those two things, you will understand what Jesus is saying in this paragraph. You'll understand his point. Because you've got to see the connection between the opening statement and then this introduction of the ministry and role of the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me talk about this connection real quick. Or not real quick, but what's the connection? Look at verse 16 again. Look at the end of it. Verse 16. And he will be with you always. See that you? See the you? Well, who's the you? Who's he talking to? Well, ladies and gentlemen, because those two things are connected by the and, he is, the you are the ones who obey. Obey what? My commandments. If you love me, Keep my commandments, and I'll send you a helper, and he will be with you always. Guys, did you realize that Jesus has commandments that are supposed to be obeyed by us? You, You notice he calls them my commandments. Moses never said that. Moses would never call the Ten Commandments my commandments, but Jesus calls, he says, I've got commandments, my commandments. And so for all of us who are here and who are grace lovers, and, and that's, that's, that's us at Grace Divan, you need to know this. Jesus has commandments. Um, grace has Commandments. Is, is Jesus some kind of legalist? Well, I hear some people talk, you would think he was. But ladies and gentlemen, the one who inscribed the Ten Commandments on pat- tablets of stone at Sinai is the one who sent the one who said this. Guys, Grace and law are not in, or the law is not an enemy of grace. The law only becomes an enemy of grace when you use it to try and save yourself by it. If you use the law like that, then the law is an enemy. But once you understand that it's never to be used, to save you, then the law is not an enemy of grace. In fact, that law, says Jesus, 
You're supposed to obey it. So, so, so to whom has the helper or the Holy Spirit been given? He's been given to the obedient lovers. Who are the obedient lovers? They are the ones to whom the Holy Spirit has been given. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, both of those things go together. A, um, a resident Holy Spirit within me always produces obedience. Disobedience means no love. Um, and it means no resident Holy Spirit, no Holy Spirit within. If love isn't practical, it isn't love at all. Ask any wife in this room. Same thing is true in our marriages. If love is not practical, it's not love at all. Gang, there is only one test for one's love for Jesus Christ. Love is measured by obedience. A relationship to Jesus Christ is, is characterized. Listen, a a relationship with Jesus Christ is characterized by obedient love. It's obedience, not some kind of um, oral orthodoxy. It's, it's obedience. It's not some kind of shedding of tears. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, you'll, you'll have nice feelings. It's obedience that is the one test of one's love for Christ. Now, guys, um, <clears throat> here is my point this morning. Now, if I've confused you up to this point, oh, it's only going to get worse. But um, if I've confused you, let me, let me kind of summarize. Here's the point. And if you don't get anything else I say this morning, you can write this down, and you, you, will, have, you will have gotten what I'm trying to communicate, which I think this text teaches. <clears throat> There is no such thing. There is no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey. There is no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey. Well, Dr. Young, that's, uh, that's pretty blunt of you, Dr. Young. <laughs> But if you think I'm blunt, listen to this. This is John, um, the one that wrote the gospel. This is in his first letter. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... 
We lie. Don't you hate to be called a liar? Well, I didn't call you a liar, but John did. There is no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey. Now, let let me say that differently. When, when When the Holy Spirit makes you alive, and, and um, takes up residence within you. Obedience becomes our great love. To not obey ob- proves that the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in there because he produces the desire and the ability to obey. Those two things go together. Let me say it differently again. (laughs) He's called another helper in this text. Well, what kind of help does the helper give? He gives us help to obey. The power to obey is derived from the resident Holy Spirit. Now that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the connection of those two things, verse 15 and verse 16 and following. That's the connection. Let me say it in a sentence. There is no such thing There is is no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey. Now, I want to use the rest of my time, which is about 15 minutes, so it's almost not much longer. Um, I want to use the rest of my time proving that premise, that point. There's no such thing as an authentic believer who does not believe. That's my point. There it is. No such thing as an authentic believer who does not believe, who does not obey. I want to prove that point with three arguments. And I, and I got to warn you that you're going to have to think. It doesn't hurt. Um, you're a bright bunch. You can get this. I promise you, you can get it. But it requires that you think. But if you don't get it, <clears throat> I'm going to summarize it in the sentence for you so that at least you can get the point of the three arguments, okay? But my three arguments are simply designed, you get this? I I got three arguments to prove my point. My point is, there's no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey. I want to give you three arguments in favor of that premise. Here's the first one, and and I got to tell you, it's kind of complex, It's found in Mark chapter 12, if you want to look real quick. You don't have to because you'll remember the story, I think. Mark chapter 12 is, um, it's the story where the scribe comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's the foremost commandment of all? You know, it's called the great commandment. What's the foremost commandment of all, Jesus? And Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then the scribe says, oh, you got that right. Can you imagine a scribe saying that to Jesus? You know, oh, you're, I guess you're right, big boy, you know. <clears throat> anyway, um, 
And then the scribe goes on to use some language that he has gotten out of the Old Testament. It's in Mark chapter 12, um, verse uh, 33. He's talking, the scribe is talking, and he says, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor's, as, one's neighbor as himself, here it is, <clears throat> is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You hear that language? All the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The scribe got that language from his training in the Old Testament. It's language that comes from 1 Samuel 15, where we find these words. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. See it? There it is. As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Now guys, here's the point. When the scribe is dialoguing with Jesus, and Jesus says, love the Lord your God, the scribe begins to think, yes, he's absolutely right. Because I know in my Old Testament, it trains me and tells me that it is better to obey than it is to sacrifice. Do you see what the scribe did in his own mind? For him, the scribe, obedience... And love were identical. Jesus uses the word love. He uses the word love. And then he refers to a passage in the Old Testament that talks about obedience. In his mind, obedience and love were identical. Even the scribe knew that. And here's what the scribe knew. And here's the point of this argument. Ladies and gentlemen, you must understand that loving obedience is the essence of the great commandment. You want to know what the essence of the great commandment is? It's loving obedience. You want to know what the great commandment is? Loving obedience. He got that. The scribe understood that. Here's here's something that the scribe didn't understand. He missed this part. Jesus says, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then later on in our text, John 14, he says, if you love me. Do you see what Jesus did? He equated himself with God. If you love God, if you love me, it's the same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, just like love and obey are synonyms, so is God and me, Jesus. The scribe got the first part. He didn't get the second part. But here's the part you've got to get. Loving obedience is the essence of the great commandment. That's my first argument. Here's my second one, and it's a bit easier. Um, It's, um, well, it's called the new covenant. Have you ever heard that term? I I bet you many of you have heard of the term, the new covenant. 
Um, it's introduced in Jeremiah 31. It's uh, repeated in Ezekiel 36. It's mentioned in Joel 2. It's the, it's the heart and soul of the matter in Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. The new covenant. God says, I'm going to bring a new covenant. Um, <clears throat> this is Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. There it is. And then he talks about it a whole lot in Ezekiel. He talks about it in Joel. And then he talks about it a great deal in, in Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10. The new covenant. You've heard of the new covenant, I think, maybe. Well, I, I probably need to read you three or four verses, but I'm not. Because I don't want you to get lost in those verses. Because here's what I want you to hear. But this is the covenant, the new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here it is. Here's the covenant that I'm going to make with you guys. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The uh, new covenant is, I'm going to put my law on your heart. I'm going to write it on your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, for, for us to undercut or deny or ignore or um, devalue the need for the Christian to obey is to emasculate the new covenant. That's my argument. To, to somehow de- devalue the need for the Christian to obey is to ignore and to reverse the new covenant. Because the new covenant is, I'm going to write my law on your hearts. God is going to give a new covenant. He's going to create for himself a new people. And you know what those people are going to do? They're going to obey me. Hey, by the way, there's there's a place that I would love for you to see. It's in Psalm 105. It's real simple. And, and, I, and I want to be simple. I don't want to confuse you. But this is, this is the same thing said, but just in really a simple little four verses. It's Psalm 105. It begins in verse 42. And um, I'm going to read it. <clears throat> Psalm 105, verse 42. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles, and they inherited the labor of the nations so that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. I didn't say that. That's in the text. The very intent, ladies and gentlemen, of God creating a new people is so that he would have a people for himself who would obey his laws and his statutes. That's what he's done in us. It's the essence of the new covenant. It's the essence of the great commandment. Now I've got one more argument. And then I'm done. Um... This is a um, this is something really simple, and it, and it comes from uh, Luke chapter eight. So if you want to go take a look at Luke chapter eight real quick, you'll you'll um, 
this is easy to understand. This one is simple. Um, Luke chapter 8, it's one of those stories where um, <clears throat> it starts in verse 20, um, um, 22. It's, it's one of those stories where there's the storm, you know, and the disciples are in the boat and this windstorm comes sweeping down on the Sea of Galilee and, and the water's filling the boat and, and they're all afraid they're about to die and they finally get Jesus up and, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And of course they lie down and, you know, calm down and everybody's safe. Um, in response to that, the, um, the guys in the boat, the disciples, they look at each other, and uh, uh, this is in uh, verse 25, Luke 8, 25, and they, they, they say to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water. And they obey him. Who can this be? I mean, who in the world are we dealing with here when the wind and the waves obey him? And then, ladies and gentlemen, the genius of the New Testament. The rest of the chapter is designed to answer their question. Beginning in verse 26... To the end of the chapter, it is, it is arranged so that it can answer the question that they just posed for us. Who, who, who is he that the wind and the waves even obey him? Who is he? We come to this next story. It's the story of the Gadarene demoniac. You remember the guy who was, who was, uh, who was a demonized? And Jesus casts out the demons from him. And the demons say, wait a minute, Jesus, uh, can we go into that herd of pigs over there and, um, you know, terrorize them? And Jesus gives them permission. And they go inhabit the pigs and they run off the cliff and they die. Because as you know, demons obey him. Then we go to the next story. This is the story about Jairus' daughter. Jairus is a, is a synagogue official. He's got a little girl. She's about, or she's died. And uh, they, they come to get Jesus to save her from death. But on the way over to Jairus's house, this woman comes up to him and, and lays hold of him. Uh, she has, remember, she's got the issue of blood. He comes, she comes over and grabs Jesus and she's immediately healed. And he stops and he says, who touched me? And, and then the guy said, well, there's all these people around you. How do you, who, how do we know? identifies the lady and she's immediately healed because as you know disease obeys him and then he gets to Jairus' house the little girl is dead he speaks to her Talitha Kum she raises from the dead because as you know, death obeys him. So here's what we've got. The wind obeys him. The waves obey him. The demons obey him. Disease obeys him. Death obeys him. 
The only question left is, do I obey him? You know, ladies and gentlemen, the only rebel on the entire created order is us. Here's the point. Obedience, loving obedience is the essence of the great commandment. To deny that is to undercut the new covenant. And then an answer to the question posed by the 12. Luke chapter 8 says everything obeys him. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you know there's no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey him. Guys, no one who loves this Savior complains about being asked to obey. But also, may I add this, no one who loves this Savior is not deeply aware of their own vast imperfections in their efforts to obey Him. And that's why we cling to Him. We cling to him as our Savior who obeyed when we didn't. He obeyed where we didn't obey him. He is the obeyer. And his obedience gets credited to me. When he becomes my Savior. I need a savior for my disobediences. And once I once I lay hold to this savior, I must obey him. And I delight to do so. Our Father, would you remind us via the words of the Savior that if we're in love with this Savior, we love to obey his commands. And you have offered us help power and ability by granting us the indwelling Holy Spirit. Father, if you have brought people here today who have not yet seen their need for this Savior, 
Would you cause them to see that it is their disobediences that have created their need for a Savior? We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.